You're listening to audio from Crossroads Community Church, located in Fogelsville, Pennsylvania. If you want to learn more about C3 and what it is about, you can visit us at c3lehigh.com. And now, for today's sermon. ago, God gave me a word. Pastor told me to wait. I believe that's the right time, the right day, the right place. This word is about obedience. You can be seated if you want. There was once a man, Jesus told the, the audience, there was once a man who had two sons. He calls one and says, son, go to work in my vineyard. Says, okay, that offer he says no. He says, I don't feel like. But the Bible says he left out, he left out the door, and he changed his mind. And he went back to the vineyard. They work on it. They call his other son. He says, Go to work on my vineyard. He says, Oh, I'm going right now, Dad. Walk out the door, never went. So he turned to the crowd and says, Which of the two did the will of the father? The one who says, I'm going, and he then. Or the one who says, I'm not going, and it did. They said that one. The point is in this story that the message went forth. Two people heard. Only one fulfilled the purpose, obedience. In Luke 6, verse 46, it says, But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? Or in other words, What good is that to you if you don't put to practice what I preach? What good is that to you? It ain't going to do you no good. You might look good on the outside, but nothing happens on the inside. The word Lord, that means master, owner, Lord. Adonai is another name of Jesus. It's got a few different names, more than a few, which means Lord, master, and owner. And it should be Lord of our life. In 1 Corinthians 6, 20, it tells us, Paul, For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which they belong to God. 
This body belongs to God. Our spirit belongs to God. It belongs all to him. He paid a big price at the cross at Calvary with his life. Just saying that we that Jesus is our Lord and not doing what he calls us to do, it makes no sense. It contradicts itself. Jesus, Jesus says, you call me the way, and you walk not my way. But we call him the way. He's the way, he's the truest life. But we don't walk his way. So let us turn from walking in our way and turn to his way. There's got to be a turning around. That's when blessings come in. You call me master, and you obey me not. What we call him master. And yet, we don't let him be master of our life. You call me bread, and you eat me not. Is it bread or life? When was the last time that you spent time in God's word? And not just reading, but be obedient. Like James says, don't just be a reader, but be obedient of it. That's where the difference comes. You call me true, and you believe me not. You call me Lord, and you serve me not. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. Give us an example. He washed the disciples' feet. We are to serve him just like he served. God wants to bless his people and deliver you and I out of a negative situation, but he cannot do it if he won't let, we won't let him be a master in our Adonai. In other words, you say, but he's my Lord, but you're allowed to be Lord of your life 80% of your life. Well, guess what? 80% gets blessed. The other 20 doesn't get blessed. But somebody else is in charge, not him. So just like Jesus came to give his 100%, and actually, it's expecting from you and I 100%, just like it did. So let us give him 100%. He gave us 100%. He suffered it down the cross for the purpose so we can have a life. We can be redeemed. Second Chronicles 16.9, it says, For the eyes of the Lord, they range back and forth from the earth, looking for people whose hearts are full committed to him. So what? So he could put himself into that person. See, when he sees the people, that his hearts are full committed to him, he comes in and puts himself onto that person. He wants us to live a blessed life, but we must walk in obedience. In John 15, 10, it says, If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in His love. God wants from us a heartfelt obedience and commitment. The best sacrifice we can give to Him is a faithful and an obedient life. This is what pleases God. Listen, it's a tough word. But yet when you go back in Revelation and Jesus is, is visiting seven different churches... Just like he's doing nowadays, no different. And he gave him some good word. To some, he gave some good word. To other, 
He gave him word of a word of challenging, and I believe that's what this is, a word of challenge, and a word of direction. That's what the word, what this word is about. A challenging word and a word of direction. He wants to redirect us in his way, not our way. Before we take communion, would you stand with me one more time? And in light of this word, I'm going to ask, would you bow your head and, and answer that question? What area in your life are you giving God 80% of? But God's saying, I want the full 100%. What area in your life have you been withholding that God is, is kind of nudging you on the shoulder? Is, is it an attitude? Is it... Is there just, you know, uh, things that you've put in front of your relationship with God? Is there strongholds? Is there, is there hurt that you said, you know what, God, you can, you can heal this part of my life, but I'm just going to keep this bitterness because it helps me. Yes. With every head bowed, every eye closed, I'm going to ask you, would you just begin to ask God, examine your own heart? That's what scripture says to do before we take communion. Otherwise, it says that we drink wrath upon ourselves. Yes. What area of your life is God nudging on the shoulder saying, you need to give me all of this? Jack, I love the way that you said that when you said he's either Lord of all or Lord not at all. That's right. Yes. yes. So what area? He wants, to, he wants to be Lord of all, not just a part of your life, but your whole life. So before Jack leads us in this time of communion, giving us that strong, beautiful word, would you examine yourself and just begin to get, say, God, you can have it. Just begin to repent of those, those things, those areas that you said, I've, hold on, I've held on to this for far too long. Just in the next 30 seconds. When he gave it thanks, Jesus, he took bread and he broke. And he said, take and eat. This is my body, which was broken up for you. Take and eat of his body, which is life. Lord Jesus, we thank you for going to the cross paying a price that we could never pay yes. to a fulfillment of it so you could uh, redeem each and every one of us and calling us sons and daughters thank you, thank you, thank you in the same matter it took the cup also and after supper saying this is the cup of the new covenant do this in memory of me take and drink Lord Jesus, again, we want to thank you for shedding your precious blood on the cross. It is with the blood that you wash us and make us whiter than snow from all of, us, all of our sins. None of it you input into our life, oh God. None of them. Father, you paid a price. You got it for that. We keep on saying thank you, thank you, thank you. 
and all the glory, Lord. We thank you that this indeed is the testimony that we stand on here today. This is what the new covenant represents. Represents chains broken, hope, a new way. Represents each and every one of us identifying with the story of the prodigal son, Lord. We've all ran away from you. We've all rejected you, and yet you welcomed us back with celebration. Lord, we thank you for this love. We thank you for this cup of the new covenant. We thank you for the promise that is and also is yet to come as you make your return once again and take up your church to be with you. But until that time, Lord, help us to see the way things that you do. Help us to have your heart. Help us to grow closer with you each and every day. 
And I pray that we would never lose sight of the powerful, chain-breaking name of Jesus. Now, Lord, we yield to you. Have your way, we ask in Jesus' precious and holy name. And everybody said, and everybody shouted, amen, amen. You may be seated. This morning, we're closing out our series entitled Defining Love, Recognizing that how we define love as Christians, how Jesus defines love is vastly, wildly different than how the world defines love. For example, like I wouldn't say that the world's version of love works. For example, like, t- like let me ask you this, and I'm going to be asking this question a little bit later too. Like, has the world gotten closer or further away from biblical principles? Come on, participate, people. Come on. There we go. Further. With that realization, has the world got better or worse? So I would argue with that reality that biblical principles, they work. They sustain us. But before we continue to head into today's sermon and close, I want to, is it okay if like, uh, well, let me just, let me just say it. Um, First, if you weren't here last week, I want to bring you an announcement on behalf of Mike Ledig. Uh, Mike Ledig is a, is a traitor. <laughs> Benedict Arnold, if you will. Um, I'm just kidding. Mike Ledig, our worship leader, uh, has received a calling. Is that better? That's a better title, right? He's received a calling to Blue Mountain Christian Retreat as their camp director. And so we celebrate with them, but we mourn the fact that um, this job is going to require Mike to be serving there in a ministry capacity uh, nine months out of the year every weekend. So he's not going to be able to lead or serve as our worship director. And because ministry doesn't just involve one person in a family, but it involves the whole family, the family serves together, Kate is going to be stepping down from uh, her position as women's ministry leader. Now, let me, let me just say this. I am so excited to hear the testimonies that come out of Blue Mountain Christian Retreat as a result of their obedience. Can we give God some praise over that? But while we celebrate them entering into the calling, we obviously mourn the fact that we're not going to see them in, in, in leadership to the capacity that we're used to. Um, but with that, we are going to be throwing just a thank you celebration um, luncheon. I believe the date is March 19th. Um, head to our church center app. Make sure that you RSVP for it. We are catering uh, Mike's favorite place. Mission Barbecue. Come on, somebody. And so to make sure that we have enough to go around, please make sure that you RSVP. And I just want to encourage you, can we just bless this couple? Like, bless them, not just a little bit, but all. Like, just bless them. How do we bless them? Well, I I hate to state the obvious, but financially. We want to bless them financially that they leave here just for all of the sacrifice and gas and time and everything else that Mike has poured into. I mean, it's literally cost Mike hours at work to serve in this capacity. So we want to bless them. Amen? And with that, I also want to encourage you, bless them with your testimony. If there has been a time or a word spoken from Kate or Mike that really touched your heart or they impacted you in another area, um, please write it down. Include it with a gift card or the financial blessing. Include it in a card or written out, but make sure that you communicate to them how God has used them to impact your life. Um, Before we get into today's sermon, I also want to throw out there that 
Um, today's service is PG-13, so if you have any younger ones in here where you're like, eh, they're really not there yet, this would be a good time to utilize our kids' ministry downstairs. I want to go back to a couple um, church updates. Uh, we are currently, I'm happy to inform you that we're currently finishing up the interview process with a full-time digital media pastor, and so we're looking forward to introducing them uh, to you here in the next couple weeks, and on that, we've uh, started the process of uh, seeking out an, an associate pastor who's going to come along side of the various ministries here and help out. So those things are underway. Super excited. But I'm also really excited to share with you that God has really blessed C3. Like really blessed C3. Like, can I just tell you like how much he's blessed C3 for a moment? Like in the next couple of weeks, he has blessed us so much through your faithfulness and tithing that our $240,000 that we owe on this building in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be signing a check and paying it off. And we will still have an excess amount in our funds that enable us to have emergency funds and functions of the ministry and everything else. God is so good. And I'm so excited to go into whether it's a building addition, debt-free, or whether it's purchasing land down along 100. However he leads, we're still we're going to keep the congregation updated. We're still exploring our options. But however, whatever the next step is, we're going to be able to do it debt-free. So thank God for that. His faithfulness, thank you for your faithfulness and tithing. That is just some of the fruit of what it is to be obedient. Amen? So back to what I was saying. We're closing out our series on defining love. And any time that we uh, head into a series that discusses love, relationships, marriage, I get caught up with, with these two questions. These two questions always surface and are asked to me. And so we're going to answer these two questions today. Number one, why doesn't marriage work in our world today? We look at the statistics and, you know, I heard of, of one friend of mine who went out to eat and he, he got in a conversation with a person behind the counter and they said, you know, uh, what do you do for a living? And he smiled and said, you know, I'm a pastor. I'm a full-time pastor. And I said, oh, that's cool. And so they start talking and the guy asked, you know, so what are you preaching on, you know, in the, in the next couple of weeks? What, what, do you, what kind of stuff do you preach? He said, well, uh, we're entering into a series that's all about, you know, the family unit and marriage. And this younger uh, cashier behind the, the counter um, looked and said, marriage, does anybody still do that anymore? And that's where we are. And so I want to talk to you about why marriage works when you do it according to the will of God, when you do it how God has designed marriage to function. So the first question that I often get asked is, why doesn't marriage work in our world today? And we're going to answer that question by answering the following question. What does a healthy marriage look like? I feel like everybody in this room, like, does anybody want to experience a blessed marriage? I'm a talker, people. You need to be talker. If I'm a talker, you're a talker. Good morning, talkers. Oh, Jesus. And so I, I believe that all of us want healthy marriages. Like, who doesn't want that? Like, who doesn't want the Disney perfect ending and they lived? Like, who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want that, that, that healthy marriage where your children are being raised not to be little terrors? but little blessings. Amen. Who doesn't want that marriage where you have the house and, and you're, you're healthy, you're communicating, you're happy. Who doesn't want that? So then the question has to become, like, how do we get that? 
And I believe that you can have a happy marriage, a healthy marriage, if you do it according to God's way. So with our limited time here this morning, let's jump right into it. Answering the second question, which will inevitably answer the first. A healthy marriage looks like, number one, a covenant-based marriage, not a contract-based marriage. A covenant-based marriage, not a contract. I feel like any time that we talk about marriage, we've got to bring up this point that marriage is not a contract between two people. You see, some of y'all, on your wedding day, you thought that you were making promises to the person who was standing in front of you. It goes deeper than that. On your wedding day, for those of you who are married, and for those of you who are single, take notes. Because on your wedding day, when you stood across face-to-face from your husband or your wife, On that day, you did not just enter into a contract, you entered into a covenant. When you were making promises, you weren't just making promises to them. God was standing there. And you were before God saying, God, I'm going to honor you by honoring this person with these things. You were entering into a covenant, not just between your wife, not just between your husband. You were entering into a covenant between husband, wife, and God Almighty himself. God created the institution of marriage. It's his creation. He oversees the covenant. A covenant-based marriage is not a contract-based. So here's the difference between contracts and covenants. Are you ready? Contracts. Number one, contracts are often made for a limited uh, time frame, a limited period of time. Contracts are often made for a limited period of time. Contracts are not eternal. There's no eternal value. But how do you get eternal value? You add God in the equation. Do you see the the parallels here? Either nod your head or say yes. Come on, people. And so we have the covenant, or excuse me, the contract. Contracts are made for a limited period of time. There is no eternal value to them. Number two, contracts often deal with specific actions. Contracts are conditional upon certain actions and expectations. And I'm not talking about contracts built on like, uh, um, not only contracts built on uh, like sin and adultery, if those were to happen and you're, you, you opt out of it, I'm talking about contracts in our day and world as they relate to marriages. They're often based on simply personal preference. Like the marriage didn't end because there was some horrible moral failure or there was something significant that happened. There was an irreconcilable uh, situation. I'm talking about like our marriages today often end out of personal preference. Why? Because they're just going along with the contract that they've been taught about. Contracts often deal with specific actions, and when those specific actions aren't met or expectations, I'm out. Which leads us to our third tendency of contracts. Number three, contracts are based on an if-then mentality. An if-then mentality. If you do this, then I will do that. If you do not do this, then I will not do that. And little by little, we start collecting what's called a record of wrongs, and that leads to nowhere. Number four, contracts are motivated by the desire to get something. When you and I, I mean, is that not the whole premise of a contract? Like we sit down to have this contract so that I get the best part of this deal. Like when we sit down with a contract, when we go to negotiate, when you go to buy a new car, right? Like you're trying to work the salesperson. 
Like, I want the best outcome, the lowest payment. I want the, the better end of this deal. So you work to negotiate on this contract. And there's so many here today in our world here today that they view marriage as a contract. So when they come to the table, it's an if-then mentality that also says, like, if, if you don't do this, that then I'm going to do that. But ultimately, like, I want something out of this marriage, and I'm more concerned about what I want out of it than I am your needs. Whereas the difference, here's the contra, or excuse me, the covenant. Number one, covenants are initiated for the benefit of the other person. The covenant is so that I can bless them, so that I can serve them. Did you know the healthiest marriages are when the, uh, the husband serves the wife and the wife serves the husband? Yeah, I'm for real. It's when... My wife serves me, I serve her. You see, when we're serving one another, when we are submitted to one another, then I don't have to worry about my needs because she's taking care of them and, I don't have, and she doesn't have to worry about her needs because I'm taking care of her needs. But the second that you and I stop that and enter into a contract and say, I want the best end of this deal, you're setting yourself up on pride and selfishness, not the cross or the sacrificial blood of Jesus Christ. And you're building a shaky foundation of selfishness that ultimately that tower is going to collapse on you. So we have Jesus who came to earth not to serve, but, or excuse me, not to be served, but to. And so when you and I serve our spouses, we are showing the world around us an image of Christ. Is that not beautiful? A covenant marriage, covenants are initiated for the benefit of the other person. Number two, in a covenant relationship, people make unconditional promises. For example, for better, in sickness, do you know what you said on your wedding day? Do you know the covenant that you entered into? Those words didn't just sound pretty, and they certainly weren't to just fill a time spot in the ceremony. Those words, that was you saying unconditionally, no matter what happens, for better, for worse, till death do us. In a covenant relationships, people make unconditional promises. Number three, covenant relationships are based on steadfast love. Steadfast love, here's what steadfast love is. Steadfast love refuses to keep a record of wrongs and focuses and does not focus, excuse me, does not focus on each other's shortcomings. Steadfast love says, no matter what, I love you. Your track record, we're going to forgive that. I'm not going to punish you because Jesus took your punishment. Number four, covenant relationships view commitments as permanent. In a contract, I know it's temporary. There's no eternal value. Let's just get through the deal. In a covenant, it's for better, for worse. No matter what, this is permanent. Number five, covenant relationships require confrontation and forgiveness. In a contract, what happens if there's a confrontation during the draw-up of a contract? Not all at once. What happens? It gets ripped. When you're drawing up a contract, 
And there's something that you're like, you know what, like there's some confrontation, maybe tempers flare up. You either table it and never come back to it or it's ripped up. In a covenant relationship, it actually requires confrontation, which will then require forgiveness. Let me, let me, let me do it this way. Our military, in order to have progress, they go through something called boot camp. There's a lot of confrontation at boot camp. And what that confrontation does is it causes them to grow. And your marriage confrontation should be followed up by forgiveness and spiritual fruit that allows you and your spouse to grow through it and not just get through it. In a covenant marriage, when confrontation and forgiveness happens, we're exemplifying Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. We're exemplifying that to others. And can I just like blow you out of your seats here today with this truth reality? Your spouse is not perfect. Some of y'all are shook. Your spouse isn't perfect. The only person who is, was, and will ever be perfect is Jesus. And so it's kind of like Jesus set us up scripturally saying, I want you to anticipate that there's going to be confrontation and it's going to require you to forgive one another. Why? Because Jesus knew that a part of the human condition is a propensity for sin. In a covenant, no matter what the, no matter what the confrontation is, there's a desire to reconcile, forgive one another, and grow from it. God is a covenant God and he wants his people to be covenant people all the way down to our marriages. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 16 says this, Wisdom will save you also from the adulterous woman, from the wayward woman with her seductive words, who has left her, the partner of her youth. And so Proverbs states the sin, adultery, and says like, yeah, that's bad, but, but notice where the emphasis is in Proverbs. And ignored the covenant of God. And ignored the covenant that she made before God. And then, so that's geared towards ladies with adultery. And you know, men, you're not exempt either. In Malachi, we see a covenant, uh, covenant reiterated in Malachi towards men. Malachi chapter 2, verse 14, you ask why. Now, let me just preface this with this. The guys, they were frustrated because God wasn't giving them favor. God wasn't giving them blessing. God wasn't hearing their prayers, and they're asking why. And here's Malachi's answer. He says, you ask why. It's because the Lord was a witness between you and the wife of your youth. It's Malachi saying, on that day when you made promises, God was there. And you have been unfaithful to her. Though she's your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Scripture places an emphasis on the covenant. Yes, it mentions the, the sin and how hurtful that can be, but Scripture specifically says the focal point, the heartbreaking, most heartbreaking moment out of this circumstance is the fact that a covenant between married couple and God was broken. And so if God created marriage to be a covenant, Scripture views and validates and reiterates this truth, then we should have the same view as his followers. The marriage is not a contract. Marriage is a covenant. So let me, let me dive in, and I, again, I'm, I want to be as sensitive as possible with this situation because when I talk about a covenant, when I talk about marriages, I have to acknowledge a reality that is present in our world and in the church today, and that's the difficult topic of divorce. 
And I don't want to focus too much on this topic because of how sensitive it is, and not all divorces are equal. Divorce carries a lot of hurt. But the question still that lingers in moments like this when we talk about the covenant of God in marriage, the question that is usually hovering is this, what about breaking that covenant with divorce? Where does that leave me? Or the other question is, does the Bible allow divorce? So let's answer that for a brief moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 15 says, if the unbelieving partner leaves and abandons you, let them. And it gives this as a permissible divorce. It says, they left you, can't force somebody to remain in the marriage. And in Matthew chapter 19, Jesus is asked a question from the Pharisees. And they're asking, they're like, do you align with what Moses said? I mean, Moses, he said, if your heart is hardened, then divorce is permissible. And Jesus, he says, yeah, but, but that, was, that was old covenant. And Jesus, he goes on to say and explain that, Number one, divorce was never God's vision for marriage. He never wanted you to go through the hurt that comes through divorce. That was never God's intentions. And he goes on, Jesus goes on to teach that adultery is the second reason for divorce. The second permissible reason for divorce. Other than this, scripture doesn't go into specifics. And here's why, I believe at least. Growing up as a pastor's kid, anytime the topic of divorce comes up, I, I, can I be candid with you guys here today? Can we be real and honest? Is that okay? Because being fake is exhausting. So let's be real. As a pastor, I hate preaching or talking about the topic of divorce. Hate it. And here's a part of the reason why, because growing up as a pastor's kid, I feel like, like I've seen it all. And what I mean by that is I believe that if Jesus would have went on in teaching anything else that was permissible, we in our human sinful flesh would have tried to look for loopholes. And the reason why I so firmly believe that is because I, I, growing up as a pastor's kid, I, I literally heard a, a, a true story, this is real, of a pastor who preached on divorce one day. And he gave these two reasons that scripture gives us, abandonment and adultery. And what ends up happening is there was a woman in the congregation who was looking for a way out of her marriage. And so she started inviting her best friend over to spend time with her husband a lot. And after months and months of her inviting one of her closer friends over and then leaving the house to go run errands and constantly pushing them towards one another, the inevitable happens. And adultery happens. And the wife was relieved because I got a divorce in a righteous way. And I've heard of stories where husbands do the most horrific and cruel things to their wives to try and get her to abandon him so at the end of the day he can sit back and go, oh, the divorce was righteous. Can you imagine what we would have done if Jesus went into anything else permissible when we already have this? And in these stories, what I'm reminded of is at the center of man's heart and being is sin. And we are indeed need of a Savior. 
And we indeed are in need of his love and his grace and his mercy. And so the question again becomes, well, pastor, what if I, what if, what if I was involved in a, a, a divorce that doesn't fit one of those two exemptions, so to speak? Where does that leave me? And I, and I want to throw this out there real quick. Abuse is not in God's design for marriage either. And if that's your circumstance, which statistically someone in here today or multiple people in here today are in an abusive situation, can I tell you that abuse is not in God's plan either? And if you're facing a situation of abuse, you need to get out of harm's way and you need to seek help. Amen? And I'm happy also to announce that after first service, we have a great mature in Christ Christian couple who said, we have a guest house if anybody needs to escape to. We will help you. Aside from that, you might be asking again, where does that leave me with my divorce? And, and friend, like, I don't have all the answers. But here's what I do know with confidence and boldness. Jesus' blood covers all sin. His grace and his mercy is sufficient. And it's not in God's will for you to carry this weight around and constantly beat yourself up and ultimately end up abusing yourself over what happened. Embrace his forgiveness and his mercy because he's just that good and move forward. Amen, church? God's will is for a covenant between him, husband and wife, male and female. When two people equally yoked are loving Jesus under a covenant mentality, here's what they experience. Mutual ownership. It's not a, you hold your end up of the, of the contract, I'll hold up my end, or else. There's mutual responsibility. And with this mutual responsibility and with a covenant mindset, you become more willing to fight for your marriage rather than fight with your spouse. It's no longer about me winning an argument. It's about how can we work through this in such a way that honors God and leads us in a healthy covenant under his authority together. So by having a covenant mindset, you and your spouse gain mutual ownership and you gain this understanding of this marriage, this covenant is worth fighting for. Amen? Amen. And in order to get more and gain more insight on what a healthy marriage looks like as we head towards our close, in order to gain more insight, would you jump with me to Song of Solomon chapter 1 verses 2 through 4? Song of Solomon chapter 1 verses 2 through 4. Throughout Song of Solomon, we understand what a healthy marriage looks like between man and woman as God designed it to be. This is a book that's written by David's son, Solomon, as he and a woman referred to as the Shulamite woman in Song of Solomon chapter 6, verse 13, celebrate God's union of marriage. Song of Solomon chapter 2, verse 1 through, or excuse me, verses chapter 1, verses 2 through 4 says this, let me kiss him with the kisses of my mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like perfume poured out. It's no wonder that all the young women, they love you. Take me away with you. Let us hurry. Let the king bring me into his chambers. So let's talk about what this means. Number two, a healthy marriage, number one is covenant-based. Number two, a healthy marriage is intimate. 
There's nothing hidden in Song of Solomon. Nothing hidden. Intimacy, it isn't just sexual. Just like romance isn't just about sex. This woman genuinely enjoys being with Solomon, desires to spend time with him. The relationship is described so much deeper than just physical. This woman is bragging on Solomon's character and reputation, saying, like, this guy, his reputation, he's so awesome that it's no wonder that all the women are saying things like, man, he's such a good guy. He's so awesome. And this narrative could also be flipped around to go the other way, ladies, to where guys are bragging on you, saying it's no wonder. She goes on to express how refreshing he is to be around. There isn't any hiddenness. Friend, can I just tell you that like, I believe the true definition of intimacy is to be fully known. Nothing is hidden. And the reason why that matters is because if there's any part of your marriage that you're hiding from your husband or your wife, that should be throwing off, I mean, throwing up uh, red flags. Because in an intimate marriage, nothing is hidden. It goes back to Genesis 2 and says, they stood before each other with no shame. That's intimacy. No shame, no hiddenness, no secrets. No, I'm keeping this from her. I'm keeping this from him. Intimacy is to be fully known. There's nothing hidden in this relationship. Healthy intimacy is expressed also. It's not just known, it's expressed. You shouldn't have to wonder how the other spouse is feeling about you. You shouldn't have to be embarrassed of their character. There should be a level of knowing each other without shame. There should be a level of having such godly, Christ-like character that you're actually proud of them and proud to be around them. And I feel like today, like we could go off on a, on a different exit, on a different ramp, and start heading into the topic of having a healthy intimacy relationship with your spouse and your marriage. Although that isn't the focal point, I want to throw out a quick resource. If you've ever heard the name Dr. James Dobson, um, or if you've attended here for a while, you've probably heard that name. If we can show that website link. Dr. James Dobson is a Christian counselor, biblically-based counselor. If you're looking to go deeper than just physical in your marriage and you're looking to build intimacy, even if it is rather than, you know, even if it is a physical element to it, I want to challenge you to go to this website, drjamesobson.org, for podcasts, blogs, books on experts who lead in a biblical manner. And I'm telling you, it'll impact and grow your marriage like you never could have imagined. Use this resource. And just to brag on this resource real quick, like I grew up in a marriage where my parents, I mean, they like studied under Dr. James Dobson implementing his biblical uh, principles. And can I just tell you, like they work. They work. I grew up in a household. Let me just brag on my parents for a moment. Like, this is what a biblical marriage also looks like. I grew up in a household where my parents, they lived a biblical marriage. I never in my entire life, still to this day, 31 years old, I've never in my life have heard my father raise his voice to my mother. It's never happened. I've never heard my mom speak anything against my dad's character. I've never heard it go the other way either. As a matter of fact, I didn't even know that my parents disagreed on anything until I was in college. 
Because not only did my parents not have disagreements in front of us, but it all made sense when I was actually uh, in premarital counseling uh, with my, my wife. That's the standard before you get married. You go through premarital counseling. And we're going through our premarital counseling. And it was during that time where I finally found out that all those times when the house was quiet and my siblings and I would walk through the living room and my dad's on one couch, my mom is on the other, and it got quiet. They stopped talking. I learned that that was them working out their disagreements. Dr. James Dobson implements biblical principles that will keep your marriage blessed and healthy. Take advantage of it. A healthy marriage, number three, is safe and secure. Song of Solomon, chapter one, verses three through four, whenever she says, pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes, your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the young women love you. Take me away with you. Let us hurry and let the king bring me in his chambers. And again, this is a guy who has a great reputation of maturity, God-honoring, faithful, trustworthy. And the Shulamite woman says, no wonder the women love you. Your character is worth bragging about. And I love the fact that she says, like, the girls, like, I've gone and heard what they say. And they're, like, talking about how awesome you are. It's no wonder. Can I just say this? Like, so often, sometimes when we first start getting into a relationship, we're blind, I didn't say the relationship that you're in. I said like when you first get, like when you first start dating some people, not your spouse. How about that? That relieves some of the pressure. Not anybody here with you today because you love them and they're awesome and everything is perfect and great and sunshine and daisies. But for some people, when they first start dating, like there, there's a whole love is blind type of a deal. And can I just challenge you, like, especially if you're single here today and you're in a season of, of dating and figuring out, like, can I tell you, like, this word of wisdom? If you have biblically mature Christian women for the ladies and men for the guys, and they are telling you, like, what do you think of them? And they're like, he's not the right one. You should pay attention to that. I'm just saying. If there are mature Christians around you who are saying, this guy is not for you, or this woman is not for you, then you should pay attention to that because in this scripture, we're seeing in Song of Solomon that, that love is being proud of the person's character that you're with, that they have such steadfast character that it's worth bragging on and saying, no wonder everybody's talking about how awesome Shulamite woman says, take me away. There's security in this statement. She trusts him. There's an insinuation of protection and safety with this statement. This is what a healthy marriage looks like. As we head towards our close, 80% of the congregation re-engages their attention when you say close, 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 close. close. <laughs> this is what a healthy marriage looks like. So our worship team makes their way forward. You're not intimidated when the other person is around. Your shoulders don't go up with anxiety. You're not worried about their influence on your children. 
You're not concerned if this disagreement is going to be another temper blowout. You're not worried about them mistreating you or cursing at you or raising their voice to you. That person has a reverence for boundaries. And when you're with a person, you are honored, respected, and taken care of emotionally, physically, and spiritually. Spiritually, as in they honor God's will for your life and his standard for your life and encourage you to live up to it. This is what a healthy relationship looks like. And I want to say here today that if you're single and you are involved in a relationship where you do not have this safety and security that is um, founded in Christ, by the way, that you deeply need to reconsider. And parents, I want to challenge you that if there were with your children as they start dating and they start looking for who God has for them, if there is somebody that is being entertained in the relationship that does not match this description, then you have a biblical mandate on your life to sit down with them and your son or daughter and express your concerns and go from there. A healthy marriage is when the spouse is safe and secure with Jesus. When each spouse is safe and secure with Jesus, they have an identity because they know who they are and what they stand for because they know what Jesus stood for and what Jesus stood against. And if you know that about Jesus, then you know a large portion of your identity because you and him are supposed to be one. The spouse is supposed to be safe and secure in Christ-like character, exemplifying the fruit of the Spirit, peaceful, patient, kind, loving, and so on. Is your marriage safe and secure? And if you say no, it's all good. Now, now it's just a matter of giving God an opportunity to work. And when my God shows up to work, he goes to work. Amen. And finally, as we close, 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 close. Number four, a healthy marriage prioritizes biblical principles. A healthy marriage prioritizes biblical principles. Do you know why this couple, Solomon and the Shulamite woman, do you know why they're celebrating? Because they're enjoying the blessing that follows doing marriage God's way. And when you do marriage God's way, you walk around all day with that stupid look on your face. <laughs> I love them so much. That's you. What are you smiling about? And you get to brag and talk about their character and talk about what God has done in your life and in your marriage and ultimately in your kids' lives because if you're experiencing this healthy marriage, then your kids are experiencing a healthy family. And if they're experiencing a healthy family, then someday they're going to want a healthy family which is rooted in biblical principles. I cannot say this enough. You cannot convince me that biblical principles do not work because I've seen the fruit of our world's way of doing it and I've lived the way of God's, do, God's way, doing God's way in marriage. I, I, I've seen it. I've lived it. I've experienced the health of, of growing up in a household where your parents are one chasing after Jesus. And I've, I've seen the havoc in our nation. And I look and I go, the more that we drift away from biblical principles, it seems like the wheels are falling off. So you cannot convince me at this point. No, you can't. Can't happen. You cannot convince me and come to me and say, these biblical principles are old school. They don't work. 
I've seen too much of the world. I've seen too many of the statistics. I've seen too much of our nation going away from biblical principles and I'm seeing the fruit of that and it's not going too well out there. So what do biblical principles look like? What do biblical priorities, excuse me, priorities look like? Number one, that you have a healthy relationship with Jesus. Husband and wife, that your relationship with Jesus comes first. Number two, a healthy relationship with your spouse. Well, pastor, don't kids come second? No, they don't. Your spouse comes second. You know, today we still have idol worship. We just don't worship objects. Now we just worship our children. We put them in the number one spot in the household and we honor them and we worship them. And that's not how God created it to be. First is your relationship with Jesus, then your relationship with your spouse. Well, pastor, why, why, why can't kids be there? In case we haven't been clear enough, someday your kids aren't gonna be home anymore, Lord willing. They're not gonna be there anymore. And you know who you're gonna be left with? The one that you entered into the covenant with. And number three, a healthy relationship with your children. Our culture's way of marriage doesn't work. Why? Because our culture believes in contract marriage. Because our culture doesn't know what it is to be intimate. Our culture doesn't know what it is to be fully known by someone and still embraced. We're too busy showing the best side of ourselves on social media thinking that we're good. Our culture neglects to recognize character, reputation, safety, and security as important and vital to the health of your relationship. And our world tends to neglect foundational biblical principles. Let me close with this statement. Close, 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 close. Closing, you're re-engaging. We're closing and close. I want to lay this, this truth down real quick. And, and I know that it's, it's not easy, but here we go. When it comes to having biblical principles as the priority in the home, I don't know, I've never met a single Christian who has said, man, biblical principles are not the priority. We sometimes get a little self-unaware. Can we agree to that? Like sometimes we can't smell the paint, we're too busy painting, right? And so with that reality, let, let, let me just help us acknowledge something real quick. If your children are constantly asking, are we going to church this Sunday? then biblical principles are not a priority. If your children's sports come before their church attendance and their relationship with Jesus, biblical priorities are not present in the home. If your relationship with the NFL, NHL and MLB comes before the priority of pouring yourself out into Jesus on Sunday mornings, Biblical priorities are not the priority of the home. Let's take it a little bit deeper. If your career is pulling you away from your marriage covenant and your mandate, biblical mandate, another part of the covenant is that you're pouring into your children, that you're raising them spiritually. And if you have a profession that is prohibiting you from doing that, this sermon was written two months ago, by the way. So please don't think that I'm directing this towards anybody. Then biblical priorities are not the home. 
or excuse me, are not priorities in the home. But here's the good news. It can be turned around. It can be turned around. You can teach your children. You know what memories I have? The entire, my entire T-ball league being in the front row of church on Sunday morning. Why? Because in our family, we were taught there's no baseball if there's no Jesus first. And I want to challenge parents. I know that we're talking about marriage coming up. I really want to challenge you to pour into your kids. Do you know that there are satanic after-school clubs now coming to Lehigh Valley? Have you heard of this? Anybody else seen this on the news? Yeah, like this is for real. There's literally an after-school program by the satanic temple that's happening at our schools. And so parents, I really want to challenge you. I really want to challenge you with this. If you're not seeing spiritual fruit in the life of your student and they're spending six to eight hours a day at these places, you need to prayerfully consider your options. We have work to do, church. Biblical principles work. Would you stand with me? Biblical principles, they work. If you want to experience blessing in your marriage and in your kids' marriages and ultimately all the way down to your grandchildren and your children's children's children, if you want to experience that, it starts with biblical principles. Jesus, No word that Jesus has ever spoken, that God has ever spoken, will fall void. God has a satisfaction guarantee behind all of his principles. I'm telling you, we all want blessed marriages, right? We all want blessed relationships, amen? Do them God's way. And if biblical priorities are truly the priority of the home, then that means everything else falls under these three things. Jesus is first, my spouse is second, my kids are, are third. Everything else comes after that. Truly, everything else comes after that. Would you do this with me? If you're here today with your husband, your wife, would you just put your arm around them? And I'm going to ask couples if you just pray God's blessing on their life. For everyone else, would you join me in praying over these marriages and over our kids' ministry? And you can even pray blessing over your own life someday as you enter into that season of engage, dating, engagement, marriage, so on and so forth. But would you do this? Would every head be bowed, every eye closed? And would you just join me in prayer over marriages and doing relationships God's way? Dear Heavenly Father, we love you, Lord. God, we thank you for this beautiful union of marriage that it is mandated by you, created by you, that you gave us wisdom on how it should best function. So, Lord, we recognize that family unit marriages are under attack today. I pray that each and every marriage here, Lord, that you would fortify that you would build them up upon your word. Lord, we pray right now over our kids' ministry downstairs. Right now, we ask and pray for their husbands and their wives someday, that their husbands and wives someday, Lord, that they would be covenant-minded, that they would be intimate, safe and secure. And Lord Jesus, that biblical priorities would rule their lives and their households. Would you bless them with God-honoring, God-fearing marriages? But Lord, before it goes to them, help us to live it. Help us to exemplify them. Lord, we give you all the praise and all the glory for the testimonies that are going to come forward out of this. Help us in the meantime to do marriage the healthy way that you've created it to be done.
in Jesus' precious and holy name. And everybody said, and if you believe that there are going to be some awesome testimonies and that God is going to, I mean, grow some fruit as a result of this, would you give them some praise one more time today, church? Amen, amen, amen. God bless you as you go with the Lord. He's going with you. Go do marriage the way that God wants it to be done. God bless you. This has been an audio recording from Crossroads Community Church. If you'd like to get in contact with us or learn more about us, you can follow us on social media at C3Lehigh or email us at info at C3Lehigh.com. We'd love to hear from you.